Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first ever episode of the PO Forecast Extra. I'm your host, Freddie Webb, and yes, this is a new bonus project that the PO Forecast is doing. We are planning on doing this once a month, giving you a deep dive into all the talking points of Pompey. We're going to deep dive into analytics and how that could be used by Pompey to make the team better and also just keep an eye on things and essentially go a little bit deeper into certain topics. Now, obviously, I couldn't do this on my own. I had to bring in some people. So the first person I'm bringing in, he's a musician, but also a complete spreadsheet nerd. He's using a, a, literally a band microphone at the moment because he hasn't even got his setup set up. Mr. Pajoff Taylor, Pompey Stats, how are you doing, man? Good evening. Yeah, I'm doing really well, thanks. Very excited to be on here to chat uh, all things analytics to do with Pompey. Yeah, really exciting project. Glad to be asked to be on it. And yeah, looking forward to everything. Yes, we. Uh, the entire point of this was to give the listeners something a little bit extra, hence the name and the very cute little small X thing, because, well, we're nerds, aren't we? So we may as well. But also we decided to bring on somebody else, so we got, we got a full compliment. You may know him from his uh, threads of players on Twitter and other analytical bits. He is definitely an up-and-coming star in the analytical section and also does analysis for football clubs as well. Also, some he is a certified king of bollocks, Mr. Jack Hancock. How's it going, man? <laughs> yeah, that was a hell of an intro. I mean, I'm all right. I mean, I had to get my heart scanned the other day, so that's not ideal. But, you know, you know no you're, you're like five years younger than me, dude. What are you getting your heart well, scanned for? <laughs> well, I had chest pains on the left side of my chest. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to mess around with this. So I had to get an ECG done. It was great. So I felt like, you know, wanted. So, no you, heart problems. You, though, you're so all fine, right. presumably. Yeah. I mean, I've got like a pulled muscle in my ribs, but apart from that, I'm all right. Well, there we are then, ladies and gents. <laughs> a 21-year-old getting absolutely done in by chest pains. 19. 19, no, Freddie. 19. 19. Uh, even, even worse. worse. Good God. There's no Good excuse. God. No excuse. Oh, I'm certainly Same 26. Jude Bellingham. <laughs> Turning 26 in a week and a bit. Jesus Christ. That's, I, may, I may as well be sent to the morgue. So what we're doing on today's episode, obviously, we were thinking about, you know, we'll dive into some like niche topics, but Pompey only go and sign five players in the, in the first little stint of the summer transfer window. So we'll be going through all of these players, making reference to some of the analytics we have from Y Scouts, which is a, for those who don't know, a scouting platform that football clubs use. But also we'll be looking at some of the quotes from John Cena and some other some other faces in the world of football around, just to give you guys a bit more of a lowdown from our initial impressions, which you can find on the previous episode of the PO Forecast. We will also be looking at one bit of breaking news and going over all of your listener questions. So the breaking news first. Ronan Curtis put out a statement on social media, basically saying that he's rejected the contracts that was offered by Pompey, and effectively he's going to be rehabbing all the way until september that's apparently the time frame of his injuries i'm just going to open up the floor with this uh joff is it a blow for pompey that curtis has decided to do this he's said he's focusing on his family do you do you see his future being at fratton park or not at this point is it do you think he's betting on himself to get fit and then pompey will look at him and go hey with mr trick here we'll get we'll give him a higher salary than previous well we've all seen what ronan curtis can do in league one and yeah, hopefully he recovers on time, if not early. I think early projections of his recovery time would be um, the new year, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, he all the best in the recovery for his injury. But first and foremost, he's thought about his family, which is, you know, League One players not going to earn 
you know, enough money to keep them going for life. Off of that, they're going to have to find some other things. So thinking of family and his welfare and his income, you know, who wouldn't do that? So I agree with kind of the statement he's put out, whether we'll be missing out on a player. Yes, he, on the under the few games he played under Messino, he looked rejuvenated. He looked like he wanted to be there. He looked like almost in his old self. So hopefully contracts, negotiations and things can move in a positive direction for us because I do think we'll have a real player on our hands again. You know, the form he was in when, you know, he was playing with Lowe on the other wing was, yeah, they were great that season. So hopefully Messina can get him back to that and all the best in his recovery. I was a surprise by the statement, really, because I think we all had an inkling of what sort of offer was out there. And given the injury, he didn't have much leverage. Curtis has been one of those players where he's seen him at his best. He's dined him out on that left-hand side. Cutting in on his strong foot can be a hassle for defenders. But for the last couple of seasons, he has dropped off under Danny Cowley. And that could be due to a world of factors, namely being played in several positions, just niggling injuries, just form not going his way, potentially a a little bit of personality getting in the way when he's had bad performances. They're usually in streaks where he has a lot of them and then a few games back to back where he's very good. Where do you stand on this, Jack? Because obviously his analytics for the past two seasons have dropped off pretty much in most areas, given compared to his previous seasons, haven't they? Yeah, I think it's a tough one, right? Because you you can see the player that's there, you know, even when he's looked quite quite bad, there's still that quality there. You know, I'm not a huge fan of signing players or selling players or acquiring coaches because they, you know, they know the club or, or they're passionate, but you know, that energy and that ferocity that he, that he brings, which, you know, is quantifiable. I'm not going to sit here and say it's unquantifiable. It's measurable. It's clear to see. Are we losing out on a player? Possibly. I think there's always a risk in football, right? You know, you're never going to get all your signings right or you never get anything right. You know, it's not how it works. I think he's done what's best for his family. I respect it a lot and I'm actually really impressive how mature he's been and how transparent he's been. And it, you know, if he looks really good come September, October, sure, open up that those talks again, see if you can get him to stay because there's no doubt he loves the club. And if the right offers on the table, I'm sure he won't hesitate in accepting it. Yeah, absolutely. Because he said in this statement himself that he was quite reluctant to move his young family away from Portsmouth. And that was one of the key factors in it. So it's a bit, it's a bit of a weird situation where the last chapter is not closed on this. He, he could re-sign for Pompey. He's going to stay with the club to train as well. So they will basically keep an eye on his development as well, which is another factor. We're just going to have to wait and see over the next few months. But the main thing we're going to be talking about is not players who are currently in the squad. We'll perhaps do that another time. But players who have come in. And I don't remember the last time, or if ever, that Pompey has signed five players with the first what? week and a half, two weeks at the transfer window. Um, you guys are excited about that as I am? Because I know we could always have like a look on the bright side of things with new signings, can't we? We always look at their best bits to try and convince ourselves that they're a good pickup or not, can't we? But hey, it shows that the club have got a clear strategy. They've looked at players probably way before the end of the season and they know who they want and, they, and they're going after it, aren't they? Yeah, I think it's clear to see the change in strategy that we've now got under Richard Hughes, you know, I did not expect to see five signings in the first week. Yeah, compared to previous transfer windows, especially under the Cowleys, they kind of seem, seem to be dotted around, if not you know, left into the last week. Last season, we went to that pre-season camp in Spain without a recognised forward. And just to get you know five decent players in, 
before preseason starts is yeah is brilliant. I'm excited to see what these players can do, and I'm just just very happy that they can get a full preseason under Messino. Can kind of buy into the style, the way we do things here, and yeah, Messino can get a good proper look at them rather than them just kind of being thrown in to a match day, you know, after being signed on deadline day. So yeah, really excited. Back with a little bit more football background on the ground, you would probably know the benefits a bit more of bringing players early for pre-season regardless. So what, what do you think of that? Do you think this will only be a benefit for Pompey that they've signed this number of players already? Yeah, absolutely. And just before I get to that, I've, you know, I chat to people within the club and not make any bones about that. I won't name names obviously because that'd be unfair, but I've got it on good authority that the scouting processes and the recruitment processes under Rick Hughes are, you know, the best they've been in best part of a decade. You know, all of these players, as far as I can tell, have been profiled for months and months in advance. The amount of research and time put into these signings is just, it's more than we've seen recently, which, you know, is so refreshing because, you know, it's just, you know, said almost said we felt a bit dithery over the last few years and a bit, you know, just put our toes in the water and not, you know, not jump in because either the players haven't been profiled or the county has been hesitant. But yeah, just purely from a coach's standpoint, and from a human standpoint as well, you know, if you spend more time with those players in pre-season and you get them away to, uh, is it Malaga or somewhere we're going in Spain, and you spend most time building the relations and putting the time in on the grass, that's it's undeniable that that's going to reap its benefits. There's, I don't see any downside to getting these players in that are profiled properly, get them in early, get them spending more time with the, with the rest of the players and coaching staff. It's just it's so refreshing. It's such a such a good thing to see. Obviously, I don't, you don't need to give details that you probably can't, but you mentioned that the scouting process was more detailed. What sort of tools are they using? And for people who aren't as aware of it as we are, what benefit does that give the club for using said tools, whether it's statistics platforms or video analysis or whatever it may be? So I don't know the specifics, but from what I can tell, they spend a lot more time profiling those players. It seems like the amount of scouts might have gone up as far as I can tell. And also, they're putting a bit more value in data scouting. I believe they've also worked, since Rich Hughes has come in, on their benchmarking processes, which I'm sure Joth is really familiar with from the analytics side of things. Um, and, you know, just trying to work out where the statistics lie in, in the, behind those players and go, okay, are they better or above or maybe below the average for League One? And then you can really educate yourselves both on what you see and also back it up with the data that, that, that goes in hand with that. So just to double check for those who don't know, benchmarking process is effectively just looking at a player, what the numbers are coming up, comparing them to the, let's say, the average in League One, for example, for wingers or whatever, if you look at cross accuracy or for something like that. They're basically looking at those stats and going, okay, he, he appears in this shortlist with these filters. Now we're going to watch a few of his full 90-minute games and see what sort of player they are. Is that the sort of, thing, sort of thing they could be doing? Yeah, that's a that's pretty much in, in like layman's terms what they're doing. And, you know, I just have a lot of trust in them at the moment. Rich Hughes has proved himself at Forest Green. He, in my opinion, proved himself in January and he's proved himself so far. Obviously, there's not a ball that's been kicked yet. So far on paper, he, he's proven himself this summer. Yeah, so we'll go into these signings now. The first... 29-year-old Will Norris on a free transfer from Burnley, but most people would have seen him in League One after an impressive half-season at Peterborough. Obviously, a lot of people will be looking at that 
complete capitulation in the playoffs, but I, I wouldn't blame that entirely on a goalkeeper. I think that you'd have to have a completely awful performance for that to happen. So Will Norris, six foot four, some good stats pointing out at me. He had 10 clean sheets, conceded 23 goals from his 22 games. Obviously, there were some big matches in there as well. And then 80 shots on target against. The big metric for me to come out of this was if people know what prevented goals are, which effectively looks at the uh, the quality of chance, um, the quality of shots against him or the XG, they basically take that and then look at the amount that he's conceded. And then positive is a rough figure on how many goals they've saved or how many goals, extra goals they've let in. And he's plus 4.33 on that. Geoff, what was your reaction to the Will Norris signing? And do you think it's actually good to bring in a permanent keeper? Because obviously we've had the lone carousel for the past few years. Yeah, definitely. I think the first thing I looked at was great permanent deal. We finally got a keeper who's not going to be recalled in January or have risk of you know leaving midway through a season on a, an emergency keeper loan kind of thing or getting recalled or anything like that. So have, actually having a permanent keeper in the first, the first time, I think, two seasons, brilliant. We can then kind of use that third goalkeeping slot to fill with a loanee or another up-and-coming youth player, potentially send Oluwe Amy out on loan. But yeah, it's great to actually have a goalkeeper who's here on a permanent deal. Yeah, in terms of analytics, yeah, his goals prevented is great. I think he is in the top 25%. Yeah, he's better than, you know, 75% of the keepers out there um, in League One this season for that, which is, you know, really good. I've kind of been developing a little player ranking system. Golf goalkeepers are pretty hard to kind of profile because, you know, outfield players, there's a lot more kind of data out there on them. But yeah, he comes up as... Uh, the seventh best keeper in League One out of 37 goalkeepers um, this season, which is, you know, fantastic. That is essentially a playoff standard, if not better goalkeeper. And to get one permanently is just brilliant. Well, obviously, just from look at that metric, it, it seems a very positive signing. Jack, what do you think are Will Norris's strengths, but also what are some things that you may be concerned about? But we'll stay positive. We'll look at his best bits first. Yeah, well, you're lucky because I've wrote one more positive than I have. Weakness. Um, so for each signing, just I should say, for the notes page I've put together, I've got a one-line synopsis and then I've gone into strengths and weaknesses. So for Norris, I've put solid but slightly flappy. So the solid part of it, reflex saving and his ability to close down angles, I've been really impressed by. He's quite quick and springy. So he's, he, you know, he's light on his toes. He's able to make those reflex saves high into the corners of the goal. And his distribution is, this might sound a bit rude, but uh, it's serviceable. It's solid. It's not you know, groundbreaking, but it will do. In terms of weaknesses, uh, his command of area, especially in the second six-yard box, which is, for those that don't know, is the area from the edge of the six-yard box to the penalty spot, roughly. He's quite flappy in those areas when he comes up to claim those crosses. So one way that can be exploited is by putting quite a few big aerial weapons around him and essentially mark him out of the game. And then you, know, you can win flick-ons from there. Um, he won't be the most active keeper in possession, but you know it won't be like you can't pass back to him like uh, Josh Griffiths or Josh Oluwiyemi, for example. I looked at Will Norris, and when I first saw him, I thought, you know, he's he's solid with his saves, and I think that's something that I know Pompey have tried to focus on playing out the back for the last few seasons. 
I want my keeper to stop goals above any all and anything else. So I, I don't mind if he can if he can't ping the ball perfectly on a sixpence to the winger if he's a solid shot stopper, a la Craig McGilvery, for example. Joff, do you think what what do you think of his distribution? His total pass accuracy, I've noticed, is pretty much bang on roughly where Matt Macy was last season. Do you, would, is it, would it be fair to say that his distribution is similar to Matt Macy? And more importantly, does it actually, do those low levels actually matter? Would you rather just take his like prevented goals, for example, instead and prioritize that as a statistic? I think when you're trying to get out of a division such as League One, those fundamentals, you know, shot stopping that's you know your primary thing as a goalkeeper and then everything else for me comes as a bonus but you know you can have someone like Bazunu who amazing distribution you know could ping a 50 yard straight into the feet of Ronan Curtis and get an attack going yeah for me his main negative in terms of statistics was his progressive passing so passing into the final third passing into uh, dangerous areas from deep you know if we're playing with good ball-playing centre-backs, which, you know, if we sign to Sean Bernard, we've got Riley Towler, Ogilvy, I count as someone who can do a job there in a three at the back and play the ball nicely, then for me, it doesn't really matter. Obviously, you'd want the option there. But, you know, as I said, he is fundamentally a good shot stopper. And if, yeah, if you can get his kind of flappiness out of the way, I did look at his aerial duels. And this is kind of where, you know, data can be a bit misleading because, you know, he's got... A, very, very good aerial dual win percentage. You know, that's fine. But when you go and look at the footage, it's then you see, ah, oh, cool, it gets a hand on the ball, but then, you know, doesn't catch it cleanly, doesn't regather it, it doesn't fall into a defender. It's not a clean punch. And that's what can be perceived as flappy. So, yeah, if you can get kind of sort out that part of the game, again, it could be due to defensive positioning and stuff like that, then, you know, we've got a real keeper on our hands. But fundamentally, goals prevented. I'm very, very happy with that. Command of area is such a massive thing for Pompey, I think, in dealing with teams who will be relying on set pieces. I'm half following along because we have breaking news. Very special on the first episode of the Pier Forecast Extra. Pompey have made their sixth summer signing. Ben Stevenson, following his departure from Forest Green, 26 years old, midfielder, signed a two-year deal with a club option of a third. To show my ignorance here, I don't know a lot about Ben Stevenson, uh, largely because I barely watched a lot of Forest Green last season because, oh, obviously they finished rock bottom of League One recently and didn't show very much promise at all. Do either of you want to come in on Ben Stevenson? Do you know much I, about him? Or Look, I, I know his name and I'm currently looking at Scout and I'm looking at his statistics from 21-22. And look, I'm not going to lie, I don't know a lot about him. That would be my research for tonight sorted. I don't want to be doing that. Uh, from what I can tell, purely from the statistics, it's quite good defensively, it seems. He's got high number of interceptions, solid number of clearances, solid dual percentage win, uh, solid pass accuracy. He seems all right. He, yeah, Rich Hughes probably would have worked with him, if my maths line up, probably would have worked with him at Forest Green, so he knows him. Yeah, it seems like an all right signing. I wish I could say more, but I'm, I'm not the most educated on him, unfortunately. Joff, save this segment. What do you know about Ben Stevenson, midfielder from Forest Green? Please offer something extra. <laughs> cool. So I have quickly fired up the algorithm. Um, my kind of midfielder profiling 
model has him down as a six slash eight. So that's either kind of like a deep lying midfielder, someone who can play. You know, if you're playing two a midfielder, there's two midfielders, four four two, three four three. Say, then he'd be great in there in a three four three. Sorry, in a in a four three three, or he could be at the base or one of the two eights around that, or as a deep lying playmaker in the four two three one system. Yeah, in terms of ranking and where he's profiling, comes out about middle-ish in League One. I'm going to have to go back to Excel and my code in R to kind of get a deeper look at that. But um, his strengths more lie as a six. So think Rodri, think someone who can drop in, play the ball, do What's well. League One par- can- comparison can you bring up? Can I jump in quickly? Go for it. I've just gone through some clips. You know, his best actions on my scout. His long range passing looks all right. How is he in that kind of that area? Give me two seconds and I'll find out. I'll bring up only a couple of little bits and bobs. Um, he was a youth player at Coventry City, played at League One there for a little bit before moving to Colchester United. Previously played for Colchester at League Two level, played roughly four seasons for them. Signed for Forest Green in the season where they romped. League Two, and pretty much started every game with 41 appearances and 39 starts. And then this season with Forest Green, 29 appearances, 26 starts. One assist in that time in comparison to the League Two winning side, four assists, which, again, I'm not going to pretend I know much about him, but he seems like that roughly, would you say like a deep line playmaker, do you think? So a sort of player who, who, well, looking at Pompey here, if we're playing a four-three-three, would you say he's a backup to Pack? Do you think, like a deep line player who will shuttle the ball to the box-to-box midfielders who will get forward, like a Lowry, like a Morel, or like a Devlin, for example, who we'll talk more about? Do you think that's where he fits? Because obviously, another player who's come in, who we're talking about in a bit, Connor Shortesy, can also technically play that role as well. This is like thrilling live Excel work, right? This is what um, nobody... Well, well, I don't know. Maybe listeners to the PFR, of course, actually wants this, but I, I, I'm not sure who wants live Excel spreadsheets to try and figure <laughs> out who this player is. So, yeah, he ranks really well in kind of terms of pass accuracy. So I've kind of created a metric there where it takes into account it's weighted so the harder passes rank more highly in terms of, you know, it's a four-yard square ball to your centre-back. You know, that's not that hard to complete. I could do that, probably. So that doesn't really contribute to the ranking. So he he ranks really well for that possession-adjusted interceptions. So that's just how many interceptions you make, but adjusted for the amount of possession your team has. So it's more of a fair test. Ranks well on that. Yeah, and there's progressive passes, defensive duels, um, all there. Not the most creative player. Ranks pretty poorly for expected assists. So kind of shot creation, not the best there. However, you know, if he just... If he is a deep lying playmaker, I've you know not seen any footage of him kind of intently. I've watched Pompey versus Forest Green uh, both times this season, but you know wasn't looking out for him. Don't even know if he played. But yeah, if he's a deep lying playmaker, then that's not the most crucial statistic. So yeah, looks to be a good signing, and you know knows will know Rich Hughes from his links at Forest Green, and obviously he's someone who's been profiled by him. So yeah, looks to be a good rotation option for Pack which is probably what we've needed most. You know, Morel can do a job there. However, 
I'd prefer to see him in kind of a more three eight role, box to box role, if you want to put it like that. Um, someone who who can progress it, dribbling, passing, kind of be everywhere on the pitch. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I'm sorry, jump in again. Slide it right in there. Uh, I completely agree with that assessment with uh, the mention of Morel. I, I like Morel a lot, but I don't love him as a in a single pivot. I, I much prefer him either in a double pivot with a more progressive passer or as one of the eights. I like Ben Stevens' physical profile. He's six foot. He looks pretty strong. He's got good upper and lower body strength by the look of it. So from that, you know, he, if you want as him to probably drop into that in between the centre backs. I like that a lot. Yeah, I don't have much more to add on that. But uh, on paper, it looks all right. I'm a fan of it. Six Do you think Compeyon needed between the centre backs? Basically, Sorry. me. Sorry. No, no worries, Jeff. Uh, as a, just a general point to round it off. Then, do you think Compey have needed an extra option behind Pag? Because really, th- thinking about it last season, now looking a bit back, you had Ryan Tunnicliffe, who sort of did a bit of both, where he was sort of a box to box, and then sort of wasn't. You had Joe Mingy that was definitely a box-to-box player and the future with him is completely up in the air and looks less likely now that Pompey have brought in two centre midfielders. And also, do you think it looks likely that Pompey are just going to go for a a 4-3-3? Because neither Ben Stevenson or Terry Devlin look as if they're going to play in that straight-up creative cam role, do they? Yeah, I think I mentioned it quite a lot when I was on the PI Philcast last year, but having depth in centre midfield when you're playing Saturday, Tuesday, week in, week out. It's a long 46-game season plus cup games. And so you're going to need almost two players for every position in those centre midfield roles. And, you know, Pack, you know, he's not a young player. He's had a great career, but, you know, at times he did look a bit leggy. I think it might have been Charlton at home last year where, you know, he'd, he'd run himself into the ground and at 60 minutes he was, you know, he was gone. And then I think he was sent off, so he was gone. But, yeah. Rotation options physically at that point. Indeed. I think rotation options in centre midfield is, yeah, we had it last year apart from that kind of six role. We'd had players filling in, doing an okay job. But yeah, if Stevenson can kind of be that number two, you know, number one in a cup game, come in, replace Pack after 55, 60 minutes, then and it's great. And, you know, it gives him competition as well, keeps the standards high in this team, which is, you know, what you want. And effectively, replacing for Louis Thompson as well, who went Stevenage. Because when Louis Thompson was fit, I know he was mainly used in a two in midfield, but theoretically he could have been like that defensive anchor role. So from that perspective, it fills in the depth a little bit more, doesn't it? All right. So now that Joff and Jack have finished their best Jonah Hill impression from Moneyball, trying to scramble together anything they knew about Ben Stevenson, let's go over some well-trodden ground already. Let's go for a player who was the second signing for Pompey, Connor Shaughnessy. He signed a free transfer from Burton Albion. Looks to me like a better backup centre-back and just seemingly just a very solid straight-up one at that. Looking at the statistics for me, didn't seem to be a lot of frills there. Messino said he's heard people speak very highly of his attitude, work rate, versatility. That was the biggest thing to come out in the press about him. Almost so that Massinho said he can apparently cover any slots across the back four and holding midfield because of his athleticism. Joff, I'm going to start on that quote. Can he cover all slots of the back four while also being a holding midfielder as well? Definitely centre-back and holding midfield I'd kind of have him down for. Yeah, I asked my friend Josh Hobbs, shout out to Josh, he's part of the recruitment team at Notts County but also a massive Leeds fan who Shaughnessy previously played for. 
and he basically said, really like that, able to play defensive midfield or centre-backs physical, power to carry out from the back. So whether it, he's kind of been earmarked as that starter in the right centre-back role, alongside Towler, great. If it's more of a depth option, someone who can cover both positions, um, when we switch to a back five when we're 3-0 up at Peterborough on the first day of the season and you know we need to protect that lead, great, he can do that as well. I wouldn't say he's a natural fullback. I think we're I mean we're really, really well stocked at right back. That's the only position I don't think we'll look to kind of sign in this season. But yeah, centre back, defensive midfield, great. Would happily play him there in League One. Yeah, looking at Shaughnessy specifically, obviously Pompey have changed around their centre halves so an awful lot. Do you think Shaughnessy will break into the first team from the little bits that you looked at? Because on the face of it we've Side the centre half from Burton Albion, who play very differently to Pompey. They sit in an awful lot. They pack their own penalty area and go on the counter attack a little bit. Do you think he'll be able to cope with a lot of possession, perhaps passing in between the defenders, that type of thing? Uh, I, so when Shaughnessy signed, I I did quite a bit of research trying to get a thread out on him. What I like about Shaughnessy, and it might sound a bit odd, is that he's not very well suited to a possession game. He is, however. I really like him in those transitional moments where the ball, you know, it's a bit dead. It can go either way. You're not really in possession or out of possession. He's very, because his movements are quite aggressive. He's really good at winning the ball back and then just playing forward because he's passing. He likes to play into the channels. So if you were playing a game where, I don't know, you've got a really ball dominant side coming up against you and you want to get that energy, that energy in behind on the, on their last line. If you put Shaughnessy in there, either in midfield or at centre-back, he's really good in transition from what I've seen. So you can win the ball back quickly and then play forward with with quite direct uh, play. So that kind of gives us another option. Although what I would say is that he's not the best 1v1 defender. Part of that is because of his physiology and that he's got a very high centre of gravity. When he stoops down, he's not small, which means he's not the best at Direct, uh, dictating direction against wingers that have got quite a low centre of gravity because he's not very agile. Apart from that, you know, it's free. So he's not given a huge wage. He's versatile, which is such an important quality for, for squads at this level. Um, I quite like it, yeah. He gives us something we don't really have. In, you know, he's quite mobile. But yeah, maybe not the best one we want. But, you know, every player in this level has got to hold him again. Just okay, to jump in on that, sorry. I was going to add at this point as well with his passing. I don't know; it might just be me. When we had Burgess and Clark, or Clark and Watmore, the centre halves who were so comfortable on the ball and so good defensively as well, were almost spoiled, weren't we? I don't see Shaughnessy as that, and that might be just having my expectations a bit too high. How comfortable is he playing out the ball? Because I just. I, uh, I get a Jack's point where he said that, you know, he, he it could be a positive that he's not the best in possession. But against so many teams at home, Pompey are going to have the lion's share of possession against teams dropping deep, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. We saw how we struggled to kind of break down a low block quite a lot last season. In terms of kind of data points from last year, last season, I should say, that, yeah, it's pass accuracy. So that's, again, kind of harder passes to carry off. So, Longer, more progressive passes are contribute more to this model. That's his. That is his main weakness. As our defensive tools, so kind of the data backs up the eye test there. You know, if you're just passing it square to a better ball playing centre back or a midfielder who's dropped in, fine. But ideally, you know, at home you're going to want 
two confident ball playing centre backs. There were a few times last season where, you know, a few defenders, centre backs of ours, would, you know, try a nice line breaking pass that we could all see from the front end and sometimes on their weak foot and we couldn't try, you know, they couldn't pull it off. And, you know, we then got done in transition, counted and we're one, two nil down. So, you know, we want we want players who can pass out from the back confidently and, you know, short passes, medium passes, passes into the box, you know, passes to Colby Bishop, who's, you know, dropped deep to receive the ball and the wings are rushing. We want players who are able to do that at home against, you know, a better on the ball side, Peterborough away, you know, a team that can zing the ball around, something like that, then, yeah, you may want him in the side kind of to block interceptions, win those aerial duels. Yeah, his his data points out that aerial duels and his interceptions are the two strongest parts to his game. So, again, passes the eye test. So, you know, good depth signing. I wouldn't necessarily start him in a home game, you know, against Carlisle or a team that's come up from League Two, but it's a fine depth signing. And if you can, you know, he's played Championship before, might have even played Premier League. But, you know, if you can replicate that and be informed for there, then he's got every chance of starting. Yeah, Ed Walker went over him, um, a Burton fan, highly knowledgeable, went over him on the PO forecast. He does have an injury record as well, which is a bit concerning. I think another thing is Pompey. I, I still think they need another centre half over the top. Uh, what do you think, Joe? Yeah, um, I completely agree with you on the, on the, uh, the fact that we need another centre half that can play the ball. Just kind of alluding back to what Joff was saying. The idea of Towler and Shaughnessy as a centre back pairing against teams that all come to Fratton Park, sit deep, absorb, and then play on the counter, that does worry me because none of them, I love Towler. I think he's great, but passing, in my opinion, I'm not sure what the stats say, but it's not a strong suit just from what I've seen. So luckily, Andrew Moon reported saying, I think it was the last week, the acquisition of Shaughnessy won't mean we're not going to pursue the signing of someone like a Deshaun Bernard who can play the ball to a far greater level. Yeah, I mean, we still have that need for a really progressive ball-playing right centre-back, in my opinion. So hopefully we uh, we get that over the next couple of weeks. So do you see Shaughnessy perhaps playing alongside a Sean Raggett rather than Rowley Taylor, if you had to pick? Because I'm assuming one, I the Sean Raggett will still be here. There will still be a yeah, I mean, contention. Let's say we're at home uh, against a team that will come to play a low block and we've got to break them down. And your options are, you've got three to choose from, Towler, Shaughnessy, Raggett. I would probably play Shaughnessy and Towler, but I would pack up that midfield with people that want to want the ball, are comfortable on the ball and can really progress play that way. Because I maybe this is a bit old manny of me, but I don't like my two centre-backs having the same footedness. I like my left centre-back to have left foot my right centre back to have a right foot, and I think that balance of Shaughnessy and Towler is probably the best of a bad situation. If if those were the cards we were dealt, he's on he's in his prime age wise as well, which is a, another big thing. One player who seems to be more of a project, more of a prospect, is Christian Sadie. Pompey signed him from Bournemouth for an undisclosed fee after previously playing for Burton Albion and Shrewsbury Town on loan. Five foot nine. My biggest concern to start with is I looked at it just as normal stats and I looked and went, oof, seven goals and 53 league games. But then I thought, he's played 53 league games at League One level. He won't have those problems that lone strikers have had, for example. He's, I will say, like he's gone to prison. He's done his time in the Football League. He's dealt with the physicality of it. Seven goals from 4.72 expected last season for Shrewsbury. And he looks to be just a different sort of option to Colby Bishop. He seems to be very positionally aware, so he's always in the right place, it seems, but also 
he can beat a player in certain situations in the dribble. I think I saw a, go- a goal he scored against Cambridge United where takes both full back, dives into the penalty area, but then instead of shooting straight away, he sort of left it, went around three or four pl- defenders before neatly hitting the back of the net. I think it's the sort of signing that Pompey will be looking for as the backup to Colby Bishop. It's the sort of striker who will be accepting less minutes. So there'll always be like a ceiling on the sort of strikers you'll bring in. Jack, what's your opinion on the Christian Sadie siding? Do you think do you think he has a high ceiling from what you've seen already? Yeah, I really I really like Sadie. I also looked at the goals and I thought only seven. But you know, he's got roughly seven XG, I believe. Uh, last year so that points to me that you know he can finish his chances in a side that is hopefully more productive this year and can service him with those opportunities you'd like to say he'd hit double figures hopefully if he's given the opportunities he's a very different striker to Bishop in that they can play together or he can play on his own and what I really like about him is his runs behind defence and those really powerful channel runs but also his ball striking and, and composure inside the box is immense as you said you know that We've also that goal where he takes it around the keeper and just waits and waits and waits. It does fall away slightly from range, so maybe he can add that to his game, but it's not a huge worry of mine. Another strength we've got down is his upper body strength. He's got a really impressive frame, but he's also pretty mobile. He's quick. I know, I think it's Salop Analytics, I want to say, maybe refuted that claim of mine to say he's fast, but maybe that's your reflection on the slow strikers we've had recently. Weaknesses is a solid pass to the ball, nothing special. But when he's holding the ball up and he's got a defender behind him, he can bring those midfielders and wingers into play. And yeah, it'd just be nice to see him increase the output of his by increasing the quality and the quantity of those shots. And and hopefully, I think he'll probably be aiming for double figures next season. Hopefully he can hit that. Bring other players into play is probably a massive thing given the role he's going to be expected. Perhaps coming on for Bishop, maybe on like the 65th, 70th minute mark to offer a bit extra. For example, he's been marked out of the game. Playing in a four-three-three, or in the middle, or in the middle of the match, they might switch to a four-four-two to try and chase a game, for example, and they bring him in alongside Bishop. Joff, do you think he could be the impact player up front, which Poppy didn't really have last season? I know Joe, Joe Pickett came off the bench and played well in a few instances. Then Scarlett less so, unfortunately. Even they had some good games to start with. Is he the impact player that adds depth to that number nine spot? Yeah. I- He's a different option to Bishop. One of Bishop's um, strengths last season was kind of getting the ball fired into him from the goalkeeper or centre-backs, coming in deep, laying it off to a centre midfielder, holding the ball up. You know, he's phenomenal at that. Sadie, not so much. Where I see him doing really well is, imagine a scenario where one new up at Fratton Park and a team has thrown on a couple of forwards, a couple more attacking players, and they we are kind of in low block in a mid block. You know, they're trying to play football against us and Sadie is up there on the last man and Norris gets the ball, zings it over the over the head of the centre-back, Sadie's in. He's got the pace to do that. The, the way he kind of uses his dribbling and ball control to kind of set himself up to get a better shooting chance, give, you know, give the shot a higher XG, if you, if you will, is really, really good. So can be dangerous in, in the box. I think it's a different signing. It's a good signing. That yeah, one that, as you say, is an option on his own up top. Can play in a two, you know, if we ever want to play four four two or go to a three five two or something like that. Him and Bishop up top. I think yeah, I mean we haven't seen it, but I can see them complementing each other really, really well. 
you say only seven goals, seven goals in 21 games. It's 0.24 goals per 90. Still, you know, a decent enough output for a centre forward. And, you know, the more games under his belt and, yeah, hopefully he can get ingrained to the squad really quickly and, yeah, push Bishop for that starting spot because... I'll jump in quickly. Yeah, go for it. Just as you were saying about mixing it up a bit. I remember in the lead-up to the Champions League final, there was a lot of discussion around Inter's front two. So, you know, their options were Dzeko, Martinez or Lukaku. And there was, a, there was a lot of discussion around, do you start Dzeko or Lukaku? But Pompey, we've not had that. Is no. Bishop or you play front two, but that didn't really work because the midfield structure wasn't really right. What's really refreshing is we can now go, okay, we might only start Bishop, but once defenders either suss it out or we need to change up the game, you can introduce a completely different profile of number nine because he is just completely different to Bishop. I don't see many similarities apart from they're pretty clinical. Yeah. So that is that is really just so refreshing having a completely different option off the bench or starting, for example. Yeah, definitely. I think yeah, they'll complement each other well if they play together and you know, it will happen at some point in the season. But as you say, yeah, different option off the bench. You know, if there's a team that plays a high line then, you know, Bishop's played in a Papa John's game on a Tuesday night or whatever and it's a bit knackered, you play in there, you ping balls over the top to him, hopefully with a good ball progressing centre half. And yeah, it's a good different option. We've never had that. So excited to see what you can do. Yeah, I, I personally think as a backup option Sadie jumps out at me more than Shaughnessy. I know comparing a centre-half to a centre-forward is like apples and oranges. But Sadie's younger, got the potential to improve as well, doesn't have an injury record as far as I'm aware. And up front, having something completely different is more of a bonus than, say, a centre-half, for example, because you sort of want your centre-halves to do a little bit of everything. You want them to be comfortable in possession, but also deal with the aerial duels a little bit also want to be positionally aware. Yes, you can have a specialist for certain games, like Sean Raggett, for example, if you want a market or striker, Sean Raggett's your man, pretty much. But his weaknesses offset that strength sometimes, can't they? Because, well, he, he's still not comfortable on the ball as Taylor or Bernard, for example. So no, I personally like the Sadie signing. Pompey, Pompey buying him for a fee as well. That was the first instant, instance of that this summer. And it won't be the last as well, because the next one, 19-year-old Terry Devlin, centre midfielder from Glen Torren. Now, Matthew Brown from the Shout of Oval podcast did a great overview of Devlin on the previous episode of PO Forecast. Highly recommend it. There's also a little audiogram on our Twitter as well, if you want to get a minute sample of what sort of player he is. Brown says he's a box-to-box midfielder, loves to tackle, runs for days, doesn't struggle on large pitches, slots into a midfield free, mainly in the box-to-box area, like he said earlier, has attacking impetus, and the last little sentence, which, you know, is the best thing here, can be the perfect midfielder if he adds goals to his game. That's a massive claim. Now, obviously, jumping from Northern Irish Premiership to League One is still a massive jump. Messino said the recruitment team have tracked him for a long while. Messino's described him as an all-rounder, more attacking the defensive, slightly more advanced than a normal midfielder. He's a power, he's a powerful runner, aggressive, and all action. I do like the fact that he's played 35 roughly matches in the Northern Irish Premiership against men instead of just going straight from Glen Torrance youth team, for example. I know that's a bit caveman of me to assume that youth football doesn't matter. It, it does to a certain degree, but 
I think we've seen it at Bumpy at many times if they haven't played that many competitive games in competitive physical leagues, then in League One it doesn't match up very well. But no, five goals and two assists in the league and the Cups as well. I'm very excited by this signing. Obviously, it'll take him some time to adjust, not only to a new league, but also a new country, be moving away for a first time as well. There's a lot of things that Pompey need to get right in his development. They can't rush him. But hey, Terry Devlin, Pompey have gone to a different market as well. Who wants to jump in first on Terry Devlin? And what's I'll, the take the, uh, I'll take the floor on this one. I love Terry Devlin. I didn't know much about him before we uh, linked to him, not gonna lie. I come across him on some data searches I did. And then as soon as I kind of listened to his stats and I, I, I went through loads of footage with him, I've just absolutely fallen in love with him. There's a couple of things I noted down. Uh, a term I'd like to define actually, just in case our viewers aren't familiar with it, or listen, viewers, listeners, whatever. Um, he's got quite a vertical passing bias. And what that means is. I, I even I, I don't know what that means. So you go. Yeah, so, guess what that means. Let's, let's break it down, folks. Vertical, up and down. Passing, when you kick the ball to another teammate. And bias, a preference. So, very layman's terms. He passes forwards and backwards. It, there's not a lot of sideways passing, which is good when you're chasing the game or, or when you want to break down low block. I, w- I don't love it when we're sitting on the lead or, yeah, we're sitting on the lead late on because it can mean your play becomes a little bit chaotic. So, ideally, if you've got midfield two or three, you want to balance out the vertical passing biases with the horizontal biases. So let's say, say he can play as a double six, which is someone who can play in a double pivot without being a pure six. I wouldn't want to see him with Marlon Pack because they've both got vertical passing biases. So they both want to play up and down, a bit chaotic. I'd like to see him paired with Morel, who can control a bit more. He's a really, really aggressive and strong presser in counter-pressing moments, which means he'll just eat up those transitions. And, you know, he can allow you to press from different structures, like a... Uh, a 4-4-2 diamond, which I am going to push very heavily on this pod because I like it a lot. And just one last thing, I put a tweet out week, week, just for a sign, and I compared him to Alexis McAllister. And turns out they've got a 90.5% stylistic similarity. That's courtesy of St. Johnson Analytics on Twitter. They do some great work, well worth a follow. The only difference is that uh, Devlin pr- prefers progressing the play through passes, McAllister prefers progressing play via carries. So if you want to compare him to a player, think Alexis McAllister. Maybe not the most creative, but he can add that to his game. I really, I really, really, really love Terry Devlin. I'm just over the moon. I think he's going to be great one day. I think it'll be great for Portsmouth. So what you're saying is we've signed essentially a World Cup winning centre midfielder. Yes, I've got Alexis McAllister regen on my notes. So yeah, no pressure, Terry. But, you know, I do expect you to win the World Cup with Argentina in the next 10 years. Well, what expectations to live up to? Joff, I'm going to bring you in as well. What are the main bits of analytics that I liked when looking at Terry Devlin? Not necessarily looking like an algorithm or or fancy thing sometimes. He had the second highest rate of offensive duels in an Northern Irish Premiership centre midfielders. That basically means to me that the ball sticks to his feet. And that's a massive thing for Pompey because so all too often their play down the centre of midfield got cut open by strong midfields. And then often without the midfield, Pompey have just completely lost games and failed to control them. Do you think that little extra thing from Devlin when he plays, do you think that would be a massive thing for Pompey to turn games around at? The fact that the ball can stick to his feet and he can play out a killer pass? Yeah, definitely. I think one of those things where 
it's one of those things where ball retention, if you are controlling a game, is absolutely key. And if you can do that, you know, work on that horizontal pass bias, kind of even that out. You know, if you can learn to kind of progress it sideways, you know, look for those players who are rotating in positions, then yeah, it becomes pretty complete. But yeah, the ability to kind of, you know, take a man on, you know, spin a player, play out, you know, if you're being pressed, bait that in, take someone on and then play a pass. Amazing. You know, some teams are going to press us quite aggressively. Some aren't. But, you know, if you can retain the ball, you know, against a high press or just, you know, progress it to a point with dribbling and passing where, you know, there there is a good option to pass the ball or shoot. Amazing. He's, yeah, he looks to be almost a complete midfielder. Just just on that, sorry, just on that. One thing that really stuck out to me when I went through his clips was, and just what Joff was saying, what, receiving on the half turn, he's really good. He'll receive on his back foot, he'll spin out and he'll immediately play forward. Normally into one of the wider channels, but also he can play into midfield. That's so important against yeah, teams of press. The PPDA averages, I'm sure, have gone up over the recent years in League yeah. One and, and other leagues. So those players that are a bit more press-proof, players that can't be pressed essentially. That's really important. He's, for, he's 19. He's a month older than me. Little baby Hancock. You know, it's, it's so impressive. So impressive his ability to, to receive on the half turn and play out from pressure. Yeah, definitely. I kind of childishly refer to them as spinny midfielders or a fidget spinner. Someone we chatted about this, didn't we? We chatted about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Connor love... Gallagher. Connor Gallagher. Con... My, the OG being Musa Dembele, um, Kovacic is another example of someone who can get the ball on the half turn and just beat the press and progress it really well, either by dribbling or passing. But yeah, it looks like a really exciting prospect. I believe we had a question about which player in the Pompey midfield is he most similar to. Yeah, and since I you mentioned of... it, I'll bring it in. Um, yeah. We're leaving a lot of the list of questions for last, but but this is most relevant, so I'll bring it in now. Alex Cush, thank you very much for sending this in. From the data you've seen out of Pac, Burrell and Lowry, who is Terry Devlin most similar to? Off the top of my head, I'm thinking like a Lowry, uh, but you guys will know a bit more about it. I think I said posi- positionally, not statistically. I think I said Tunnicliffe, but I'm sure I'm about to be proven incredibly wrong. Don't say Tunnicliffe. <laughs> He's not a Pompey player. Um, so I went a bit, well, a bit, I went really nerdy on this, um, used a technique called K-means clustering, and it's essentially using loads of data points um, to find similarity with players. Almost like the Alexis McAllister comparison early, you take a look at all their statistics and say, okay, this player is really similar to them in terms of the ratio of defensive tools to progressive passes to all the data outputs that you can get from Scout. As a short answer, None of the three players mentioned were that similar. The algorithm kind of classified players into five categories, let's say. A six, so deep-lying midfielder, a six-slash-eight, a hybrid between that and an eight, which is kind of your box-to-box midfielder, an eight-ten, which is a hybrid between that box-to-box player and a more attacking midfielder. He kind of fills the six-eight thing mostly, player in League One that he did come out very similar to was a guy called Ben Thompson. Don't know if you've heard of him. And another what player... A mensch. Obviously. <laughs> it, 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 he ha- his has name to has in. to be there. Put him in a title. Put him in a title. That'll that, rope him in. Oh, yeah. Of course it will. No, but Ben Thompson was a great player. He was a great player yeah. at, at that time frame. And I just wish he was at Pompey for longer. And there were so many reasons why that didn't happen, which was an utter shame. Just yeah. a manager keeping him not just on the bench and not playing him and 
ruining his career. But never mind. <laughs> why is he similar um, to Ben Thompson, and why is that a good thing? So another player that I know you both like that he has come up similar to is Ethan Erhan. The thing I wrote down was high work rate, versatile midfielders who can do a job anywhere as a six, an eight, or a ten. And I think, yeah, he's young. He can be moulded and developed, you know, things to his game that aren't so strong. He can be coached out. Massinho started out as a midfielder and was pretty decent, you know, moved to centre-back later on in his career, but, you know, has played in midfield, so he'll be able to give that knowledge, you know, straight to Devlin. So, yeah, I really like him. In answer to the question, none of them, but if you remember Ben Thompson, which I'm sure people will, that think a younger Ben Thompson. Well, if we can't give him enough praise, then we just have. Like I said, I don't think we'll see him initially because I don't see how he can dislodge the the Lowry Morel pack midfield free. But it seems like an excellent option off the bench and to bring in in certain games a very good squad depth piece. And we mentioned Ethan Erhan earlier. He was a player who I really wanted, played a lot of St Mirren, controlled midfield. And we didn't sign him because we thought it was too expensive. And I was very sad. One player who he brought in, for again, for a fee, might be a bit different to the sort of player that Pompey would, Pompey fans be after anyway. Anthony Scully. Undisclosed free from Wigan. 24 years old, five foot six, A right-footed left winger. And that's immediately going to put a lot of people off because the amount of times we saw our inside forwards or inside wingers last season get the ball out to the wide area and then do pretty much nothing apart from cut it back loads. We went through Anthony Scully on the PO forecast with Gaz Hutchinson from the Stacey West. Massino basically said he signed Anthony Scully because he wanted his attacking magic, in quotes. So his creativity, goals, assists. He mentioned he's not a traditional winger who will hug the touchline, but can still beat a fullback at a certain point, pop into pockets of space and have good link-up play with a striker. First, we'll talk about his role first, and then we'll go into whether it's a good signing or not. Since it's an inside winger, and it's not a traditional winger who will bomb it up and down the wide area on the strong foot and put crosses in, Joff, do you see us just playing a 4-3-3 a three, three that's quite narrow, where a lot of the work will be done with the box-to-box midfielders, and then Scully will be there moving into the space? having that quick switch onto his strong foot to either pass the bishop or shoot himself, what do you think? I think he is one of those players that can do the Ronan Curtis slash Josh Caroma thing from the left that we've you know seen before. You know, Josh Caroma had a four game spell where he's unbelievable and then no, not great. But Scully's previous record, you know, goal scoring winger can cut into that stronger foot, go on the outside as well. So it gives it gives you an option. I think one of my main frustrations with Curtis, but I will say that you did kind of start to see him develop this part of his game under Massino was you always know he was going to go inside. And if you are in Robin, that's fine. You know what he's going to do, but he's too good, so he's going to beat you and score. Whereas, you know, with Ronan Curtis, it did come a bit obvious what he was going to do. However, under Massino, he was able to take it to the byline, get those cutbacks across. I think, yeah, we scored a goal that was assisted by Curtis against maybe Fleetwood away last season I can't remember but if he can do both of those things then great you know he's not going to hug the touch line um, he's going to play as you know that inside forward role and cut in and you know if we can keep Curtis then we've got two great depth options there but if not you know we'd probably like to sign someone else who can do that and potentially play up front as well as a depth option but he's proven in League One and I 
you know, really rate the signing again. Just just on that, um, because I'll almost definitely forget it otherwise. You've mentioned inverted wingers inside forwards, midfield doing a lot of work. I mentioned a tweet about a month ago, I think. I was chatting about, you know, coaches that um, John Messina was likely influenced by, and I had Jurgen Klopp down. I see a lot, and I mean a lot of similarities structurally to Klopp's Liverpool of three years ago, let's say, in the you have your two centre-backs in possession, you have your two centre-backs, you have your midfield three in front of them, and you have your front five, you've got your two full-backs really high and wide, you've got your wingers slightly tucked inside, and you have your nine fixed in the middle. I can see a really, really heavy pressing side next year with that midfield three working on transitions, recycling possession in the inside channels and doing a lot of counter-pressing. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see Lane and Scully have quite wide starting positions and then when they when they get the ball, just drive right inside, and then you've got that room for the quite aggressive fullbacks to get really high and wide. So I'd, I'd keep an eye on similarities between John Messina's Portsmouth next year and Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool a few years ago. Hey, bring it up, Alexis McAllister and now Liverpool. Like, you, 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 oh, you yeah, really <laughs> keep up it the nice Reds. Up the Reds. <laughs> <laughs> look at Scully. I'm um, looking at his statistics from his full season at Lincoln. 21-22 I'm looking at. 15 goals, 7 assists in all comps. 12.94 expected goals, 7.06 expected assists. Dribble success rate of 47.4. He doesn't seem to be like a complete dribbler who's always going to be on the ball, like Jack said. He seems to be... I've seen him in his highlight clips being able to beat a fullback and then beat another centre-back sometimes. Can I just jump in? Do you think you'll be able to dribble in like small bursts rather than long traditional dribbles that a winger would do? So I don't, I don't love his dribbling ability. I mean, I love him as a player, but there's certain attributes that I'm a huge fan of. I think the reason he's not great dribbling is because his dribbling style itself is quite janky and it's not very fluid. He's not the most confident 1v1. He prefers kind of receiving with his back to it. If, if he's going to receive really tight to a defender, he'll just back into him and try and work in other players. That's why his percentage is quite low. Luckily, he's quite good with both feet crossing-wise and he can drive to the byline and, and work those crosses across. But I, I don't think he's really the type of player that will go and beat his man time and time again. I wouldn't expect to see that. But, you know, he might prove me wrong. Who knows? Yeah, it's good that you mentioned his ability to... Score and assist with his left foot. That was actually a massive thing that I saw just from the video clips that I saw of him. Because I still think that's a massive thing. Because, I'm sorry, last season I think a lot of fans got really frustrated with the wingers on their wrong foot and taking so long creatively to do anything. And then waiting for the fullback to overlap, which may take ages and then the chance is already gone. I know there's magic in Scully, apparently. And I do like how prolific he is on that side. But do you think a more traditional left-footed left-winger who lost a cross, do you think that would have been a better option? Either of you can take the floor on this one. Well, you know, if Massinho is looking to play like that Liverpool side of 17-18, 18-19, then, you know, they had a very consistent front three of going from left to right, Mane, Firmino and Salah. And Mane was, is, he's a right-footed player out on the left, Salah, left-footed player out on the right who liked to drive inside. and. So if we are going to play like that, then I don't see any issue with it at all. The fact that he is strong on both feet is a bonus. You know, a lot of players at this level are very dominant with one foot. <coughs> Rico Hackett. <coughs> and, you know, that, I I mean, I hate to see it. You know, you, 
might you know might tend to sound like a bit of a dinosaur. You should be able to play with both feet confidently. And you've so, clearly never seen me down five side, mate. Uh, my my dad, when I was younger playing football, he would pass the ball to me and demand me pass it back right foot first time, then left foot first time. So my you know, left foot's for standing on, so I can't I can't say anything. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying I'm good on my left foot, but he insisted it and drew me into the two footed cult early on. But yeah, I think if you can go on the outside and ping a ball across the face of goal is left foot or have the option of going on his right then you know a fullback you know they you know there's two options there they don't know what he's going to do which is you know great i can see a scenario with those wide fullbacks with you know scully kind of in that inside left position receiving the ball from the fullback and just laying it off first time to the fullback running on or you know giving it to the fullback out wide making that run to the outside you know towards the corner flag receiving the ball and pinging across in or you know, going for a dribble. Definitely options there. And him being both footed is good. But if we're going to play like Liverpool, then I don't particularly mind the fact that, you know, he's right footed playing on the left. So uh, just to, before we move on, um, just to touch on and, play, and praise Rich Hughes again, because I've got to keep that LinkedIn connection somehow. One thing you've seen in terms of recruitment trends over the last year or so, and Luton have really spearheaded this with their head of recruitment, is that they've strayed away from recency bias and they've they've not really looked as much at the last twelve months of a player's career and they're more focused on, you know, the eighteen uh, the twelve to eighteen month period. So the last couple of two seasons before that. And what that means is in the case of Anthony Scully, Scully's last year at Wigan was bad. It's there's no two ways about it, it was bad. He had a hernia, he couldn't get fit, he was in a really, really bad Wigan team can get in the team at about three managers. So, you know, if you just focus on the last 12 months, you'd look at Scully and you, you wouldn't dare recruit him for a team chasing promotion. It'd be completely nonsensical. Instead, what you do is you focus on the two, the one or two years before that. So in Scully's case, he was electric at Lincoln. And that means because he had that bad year last year, you get a really undervalued asset, but you're buying a player profile. It's actually really good. So, so the Pompey fans who might be apprehensive and they say, okay, the last year he was really injured. He didn't play much. He didn't score much. He didn't assist much. Just focus on the time before that. And that's how you get real value in the market. And that's how you set yourself apart from the other clubs in the division in terms of recruitment. Play devil's advocate slightly. Pompey sort of had this with previous players, like a Clark Robertson, for example, whose underlying numbers, not last season, the season before he signed, did really well. Obviously, that had the injury problem. You could argue that with maybe a Tunnicliffe as well, for example. Do you think it's just a case of using that as a tool to then look at a player more widely rather than just use it as a rule of thumb? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just because a player was good uh, two years ago doesn't mean you should sign them. It's more, it broadens your search and you don't narrow yourself down to those really small options. And it's all about, in my opinion, calculating risks and to an extent gambling. I don't advocate gambling. You know, I'm, I don't touch that. But in football, I'm a fan of it. I think in recruitment, you've got to give yourself an edge and you don't give yourself an edge without taking risks. If you don't take risks, you don't get an edge. It's that simple. If you do things by the book and you do things normally, it doesn't work. On the flip side, you could say last year, as you said, Clark Robertson, uh, two years ago, I think we signed him, didn't really work out injuries. I think he missed about half of the games he could have played or something like that. It was ridiculous. And you could say, my dog's barking. Live dogs barking on the podcast. And you must Dane really not like Clark Robertson because no, as soon as no, you said his no, name, no. it's household is uh, anti Clark Robertson. I'll wrap my point up quickly and then go sort the dogs out. 
it's a risk. It's always a risk. Uh, I'm going to pass it off to you. I'm sorry, I sort the dogs up. So, what out of all these signings, then, I'm going to put you guys on the spot. Your your favourite and least favourite out of these five. We're not going to go with Ben Stevenson because that news just broke and we haven't looked at him in the sort of detail that we would want. I'd prob- I'll go first. I think the favourite player out of all these is probably Anthony Scully because I think the bet is really good. He's proven at this level, is of the right age profile, has a point to prove as well, rebounding from a less successful season. Good personality in the dressing room, according to Stacey West. And arguably, if you fit the players around him to support a narrower front three, I think this could work very well. Least favourite? I'd probably have to go Connor Shaughnessy because I really wanted a centre-half who could play the ball out comfortably. And I think there should be more of that in this side. I don't think Riley Taylor is enough. I think we need more centre-halves with that ability personally. So, Joff, your earliest five, your favourite and least favourite. I'll start with the least favourite because I'm generally a negative person. I'm going to agree with you with Shaughnessy there. I think... That could change if we get a more ball-playing centre-half. I think then kind of his profile changes to more of a depth option who can play in, you know, centre-back, centre-midfield, can do a job off the bench. But as things stand, yeah, I agree with you there. Would have rather had seen, you know, more you know progressive centre-half there. In terms of favourite, it's a tough choice between Scully and Norris. But to be different, I'm going to say with, go with Norris purely because a permanent keeper is a great asset to have. Yeah, we've discussed his flaws already, but in terms of shot stopping, great. I, you know, I'm there for that. If we can keep a clean sheet, you know, hold on to a one nil lead, and you know he prevents goals, then amazing. And I think Massinho, you know, can devise a way for us to build out from the back without him. You know, if we do sign someone like Deshaun Bernard who can, you know, play really well out of the back, then, you know, I think, yeah, Norris. Jack, your favourite and your least favourite? Right, the dogs have stopped barking. They're, uh, they're rescue dogs and the littlest of noises sets them off. So we've gone from your, you know, dreading outside your house to uh, my dogs being set off. Least favourite? Uh, I'm only boring to say Sean C. Not because I don't like him, but because he's a squad player, in my opinion, who can chip in every now he's, and again. He's the least exciting in comparison to the other options, yeah, isn't he? yeah. He's a bit, he's a bit, yeah, he's all right. Um, I was a bit shocked actually that Josh said Norris, but that does spice him up a bit. Then, yeah, I'm not very good at profiling goalkeepers, so I don't know what I'm talking about. My favourite though is, uh, Terry Devlin because I love profiling midfielders. I love studying midfielders and there is just so much to like about Terry Devlin. I'm, I went off on a tangent, not a tangent. I went off on a, a monologue about him earlier and I, I just, I absolutely love his profile. I love Alexis McAllister. So, you know, there's a link there. I think the the upfront fee was about ninety k. Obviously, there'll be hefty sell-on clauses and you know com- competition clauses. You know, we will play football manager. We all know how to spread our transfer fees. But so yeah, I just love the acquisition of Terry Devlin and Anthony Scully as well. I, I like that because I think it represents really good value. Oh, so we've gone over Pompey's recruitment drive, and we'll see if that continues all the way into the summer. Considering that they, Messina said he wants to sign 10, 11 players, and obviously there's the chance of players moving on as well. So we'll see how that goes. The last bit now, we're going to go over all your listener questions. Thank you so much for contributing to the first episode. A couple, the two of them that are similar, 
Tim Foot messaged in and said, how much are these signings are adding young hopefuls and how much is adding to the starting 11? And George Stevens says, will these signings give greater strength in depth and the chance to have subs who could become game changers? I think so far it's a perfect mix. Considering the amount of players we had to bring in, it, it was always going to be a case of bringing in starting players and depth. I think just on the rundown, I think Scully and Norris will be straight into starting 11. I don't see any reason why not with Devlin Shaughnessy and Sadie on the bench, but I wouldn't mind any of those players coming on, really. I think they've got clearly defined roles and they'll be perfect for certain situations. I'm not sure what you guys think. I'll bring Joff in on this one. I'll move into another question. Yeah. How, how much impact are these signings going to have on the first team? And I totally agree with you. In depth? Yeah. yeah, it's a good mix. You see Shaughnessy, Norris, Scully kind of coming up to their peak age within that peak age already and then you've got and Stevenson as well and then Sadie and Devlin who are kind of more development style players options from the bench options to start in the Papa John's the racist pizza trophy the Carabao Cup all of that stuff so I think it's yeah really really good blend hopefully we see more of that to come you know peak players that can come straight into the first team and make an impact you know i i'd like that to be the profile of a center half i don't know who that is maybe we'll discuss that on the next one but yeah that's what i'd want to see next properly jack have you got anything to add to that uh no i think kind of echoing the points from earlier and that we've now got players that we didn't really have their profile before or we had a similar profile but it weren't as good but now we've got so many different and unique profiles that complement what we've already got in the building, as well as what is hopefully, if the links are correct, could come in the future. A couple of different players. Um, Cassini Yangi's been linked. We have not got a player like him. The Lee Bonist is maybe one for the future, but I quite like him as a Bishop replacement in a few years' time, hopefully, not now. But yeah, I mean, you know, you, we can now mix it up and we can, we don't have to be as one dimensional. We can, we can shake things up if, if it's not going our way. One more technical question from Messinos Moose, referring to Marlon Pack being the sitting midfielder. How do you feel we're we're going to probably going to best utilize Pack in the system, given that energy and tenacity isn't his game? But this is what the rest of the centre midfielders give. So, how do you think we're going to get the best out of Marlon Pack this season? In we'll assume they're playing a four-three-three, just purely down to the sort of players they're bringing. For me. Don't let him play 90 minutes week in, week out and have that But he's really option. good. He's got that championship flair that not all the midfielders have. Surely just because he's over 30, he can't, he's not going to just keel over in the centre well, of it. We saw him kind of start flagging towards the end of games last season. And yeah, if Stevenson can kind of fill that role, be a rotation option there, then I think that is the way to get the best out of pack. You know, start him by all means in most if not every game when he's fit but you know I, I'm not confident that a player of his age can be playing in that kind of in that six role week in week out 46 games a season just jumping in on that although we are probably playing a 4-3-3 it wouldn't shock me if we do move to a, a double pivot at times and Pack is best complemented in the double pivot with a mobile midfielder with a preference for that horizontal passing bias we took that vertical pass by us earlier, horizontal, just side to side. A bit more controlling, a bit more calm. And in my opinion, that is Joe Morrell. Don't pair him with Devlin in a in a double pivot. It, it won't work. In my opinion, it'd be too chaotic. I don't like it. 
in a for four three three. I think right now in the building, it's probably Mo- the, the the obvious partnership is Morel and Lowry, but I quite like Morel and Devlin ahead of Pack. I think especially Devlin is so aggressive and so positive, and he just he can do a lot of that running, and you know he's still youthful, so he'll run himself into the ground because maybe he's a little bit naive. I don't know. So yeah, you you need to surround him with players who can do a bit of running for him. Don't play him in a four four two because that kills him. It it absolutely kills him. Um, and don't pair him with Jamie, Mingy, even though Jamie Mingy will not be here next season. Don't put them two together. We don't uh, know if Jamie will be here next season. Obviously, I all the think, stuff we're hearing from I the agent. I think we can and, have a and with the centre midfielders coming, it seems unlikely, doesn't it? Yeah, but uh, but yeah, just you know, just surround him with people who are doing running for him and are also you know, tactically intelligent and, and and capable in transition. One question about Anthony Scully from Ashley Farrell. This is for you, Jack. How do we best utilise Anthony Scully? And if we were to get a left back in, how do you think Bissinho will play them? We sort of touched on that earlier, given the Jurgen Klopp four-three-three comparable, where the winger will play quite close to the striker, tuck in an awful lot, with the fullback bombing up and down, creating that wide, sort of that wide attacking role. Do you see that happening, or do you think something yeah, else? Yeah, yeah. So again, I, I made notes on this. No, I noted down Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool, and um, just kind of a bit more in depth in the in the exact role. Messina will want his fullbacks, in my opinion, to get high. I think Swanson and Rafferty can do this pretty well on the right. Swanson, I, I don't see him as a, a really advanced left back. I play him at left back, but more as an inverted role. Can't see that happening. You know, you win something, you lose something. In terms of against the ball, well, it's kind of in the ball, on the ball, actually. I wouldn't expect them to be very, they, they won't need to be good at defending counter attacks because they will be quite high and wide. So if you profile in left backs, that's not a huge area for me. That'll be more the midfield three will need to be good in transition. He will like them to be able to defend and, and know their role and be athletic. It's quite cliche at this level, you know, get athletes in. Athletic, solid crossing, solid defender. I know it's kind of a cop-out answer, but, you know, they'll need to be high and wide. They'll need to be able to hold the width and whipping the balls for the front line. Um, and maybe even whipping the balls all the way to the back post for the opposite fullback to run onto. So maybe just want to keep one thing to keep an eye on. You might see the right back and left back, their goal contributions go up as a result of that. Yeah, it seems to me that Pompey are going to look for another left back as well as alongside Conor Ogilvy because obviously they're trying to offload Denver Hume for basically anything they can get at this point because they don't trust him defensively in a back four and they just want a different type of left back to Con Logovy. I still believe that he's okay going forward, but he's not, you know, he's not like just an attacking fullback. That's not the sort of player he is. He's improved that, I think, but I think Pompey do need to go after another option. Well, we've gone over an awful lot there. Please give us some feedback uh, on social media because obviously this is the first time we've done this and uh, a little bit of input from, from the listeners would be greatly appreciated in how we're doing. Did you guys enjoy that first ever episode of The Extra? I had a, I had a blast, and I, I think we dove in some really interesting topics, both tactically and, and statistically. I was really happy with it. I think this would be a, a bit of a bumper episode, so you know, see us next month for another one, hopefully. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed it, and hopefully you you two did too. Yeah, had a great time as well. Loved chatting all things stats, data, tactics, and Pompey with you guys. Yeah, really good. I mean, the fact that we've somehow managed to do three forty-minute zooms worth of content is yeah speaks volumes i think about how much you know we all love to chat about this stuff sorry that you've got to edit all this together fred i'm sure sure it'll be all right but no loved it 
yeah, feedback always welcome as well. If I drone on too much, please tell me. If my mic's crap, sorry. I've got a different one that I can whip out. And you need to go full MC. You need to proper like MC it up. Yeah, maybe next maybe next yeah. month. Um, DJ Joff. We will see. No, it's been a blast. Yeah, absolutely. And feel free to obviously give any feedback that you guys like, because obviously we brought in a lot of detailed information as well. I always like to try and, well, it's in my role as a journalist, take detailed, sometimes complicated information and put it in a way that people can understand. So I hope that we've done that. But if we haven't at all, please tell us and then we'll fit things around and then anything else you want to discuss, also tell us about that as well. So thank you very much to uh, Jack and Joff. And uh, until next time, play at Pompey. Pompey.